0: Now, fight back with Libby Snymer on Zuber Radio with guest host Jane Brown.
1: The third round of NAFTA negotiations wrap up today in Ottawa with the preliminary decision from the U.S. Commerce Department against Bombardier as the backdrop. Is this anti-Canadian sentiment going to weigh in on the discussions today and future talks in the coming weeks? I will ask that question first of our first guest, Michael Tobe, political commentator and former advisor to former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Michael, thanks for joining us.
2: My pleasure as always, Jane.
1: So what do you think about Bombardier weighing in on the talks, affecting the talks?
2: Yeah, I, I, you know what, I'm not terribly surprised. Bombardier, I mean, we could spend an hour discussing Bombardier. Peter Hedeckel's book from many years ago kind of revealed the fact that Bombardier and many other organizations sort of like it have obviously had a, a preferred status in this country. And Bombardier has always been sort of where deals should be sort of put the tender, where we should have more competition bidding for everything from planes to, say, uh, subway cars. Unfortunately, Bombardier usually has a bit of a favored status. Now, part of that is due to the Desmarais family who controls it, who obviously are very prominent and have been heavy political contributors in the past, mostly to the federal liberals, but a little bit to the federal PCs but also because bombardier has just held a special status in this country as something that is seen as being light years beyond everything else even though there are many international competitors who build these products as well or better than them so of course bombardier would be worried and frustrated about their position depending on what nafta looks like after all the rounds of talks are done and hopefully an agreement is set up by year's end but it's not shocking that they would speak out because, really, they sort of see their their future interests and a lot of money at stake, depending on what happens.
1: So, do you think the Christian Freeland's uh, around the table, she and her American and Mexican counterparts, uh, does this at all shadow today's discussions, for instance?
2: Well, to some degree. I mean, I, I thought it amusing that. Um, Financial Post columnist Terry Corcoran said that we really should rename NAFTA, which is the North American Free Trade Agreement, to, I think he called it uh, NATPA, which is the North American Trade Protection (laughs) Agreement, because that's really what you're seeing a lot of in Canada right now, not just from Krista Freeland and her Mexican counterpart, but just in general. We're seeing a lot of things come into place where, Yes, free trade is more of a theory than anything else. It's obviously something people like myself strongly support. But generally speaking, we've had uh, an industry which has been managed trade more than anything else. And instead, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico are all sort of aligned or fighting with amongst themselves in terms of how we protect our industry, which is more of a nationalist instinct, a protection of the things that are built in this country, whether you want to say it's America first, Canada first, Mexico first, or whatever slogan you want to use, one of which we know Donald Trump uses, and the other two are obviously unreal, but certainly are there. I think what we're seeing in Canada, or what we've seen in Canada through round three, is just a lot more of the same, in that NAFTA, when it is finally, hopefully signed, sealed, and delivered, may look a lot different than what existed when it was initially signed in nineteen ninety and i'm really actually not sure what's going to look like in the end but it worries me that we're worrying far more about protecting our industries instead of looking towards the global marketplace which is the more important concept and ensuring that international trade and that trade barriers are reduced i mean that's really what should matter it's how we deal and trade with other countries rather than sort of just protecting our own interests Because especially in Canada's case, Jane, we are a good country. We obviously have improved in many different ways, and we do play a role in the global marketplace. But we are still a middle power. We are not as strong as the others. And yes, the United States has an enormous list of demands that they want to have met, and that's hard for Canada and, quite frankly, Mexico to meet. But it shouldn't just be about protecting all of our self-interest all the time, I would have hoped that these three countries would look towards improving their status on an international level. And just unfortunately, right now, I don't see that.
1: 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. As you can tell, our political commentator, Michael Tobe, has a good handle on what's happening around the table. Uh, and, and the discussions have been going on now. This is the third round of NAFTA negotiations uh, in Canada. They've been in the U.S. and they've been in Mexico City as well. So there are more to go. Go. And we invite your questions. If you're a bit baffled by the headlines, if the whole idea of NAFTA is overwhelming, then call in with your questions. Or if you uh, see a priority area for NAFTA Talks, we'd like to hear from you as well. Let's go to Don in Trent. Hi, Don. You're up first.
3: Hello. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call and letting my, me speak my mind about this NAFTA agreement. Certainly. Go ahead. I think I heard you just say that it came into effect in
2: 93?
3: 1990. Okay. Um, what I think is that right now, uh, Trump is using just about anything as a big diversion because he does not want them checking into his Russian investment or... The fact he was going to build a Trump Tower there. Um,
1: well, well, and and I'll take that, I'll take your comments, Don. I'll, yeah. Do you have a question for Michael? Off
3: the border below below the below sight kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so right now, he's using just about anything he can to get tension attention away from investigating. His: Russian investment
1: Okay, well, fair enough. I'm going to let you go and let Michael Tobe speak to that. Uh, in terms of distractions that Donald Trump may or may not be making on purpose to divert from the real issues or some of the other issues at hand, mm. how is his agenda playing into these talks?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, getting away from quote unquote Russian investments, as Don has suggested, which would mean that he actually knows more than anyone else in terms of where Donald Trump has or has not invested, there's no question of, I think what he was really mostly referring to was Russian meddling in the last presidential election, which is still obviously being discussed in the United States through Robert Mueller's commission. Mm-hmm. But in terms of investments, I mean, we have virtually no proof of that except that, yes, he knew a few Russian businessmen here and there, and there there may have been something with one golf course but that was sort of you know kind of a weird fashion and it, the dots have not really been fully connected so i think right now we shouldn't really go that far no matter what we think of donald trump but is he using it as a diversionary tactic no donald trump long before he ever ran for president of the united states had directly said that while he supports free trade he's always believed in fair trade which means that when it comes to something like NAFTA, which he's criticized as one of the worst trade deals the United States has ever signed in its history, it has frustrated him, you know, in his own way to look at the way NAFTA was, A, initially created, and B, where America's standing is in it. Where I would agree with, obviously, Don and others is that the one thing Trump is not looking at properly, and many academic papers have shown this over the last five to ten years, is that the US, Canada, and Mexico have all benefited financially, that means economically, in terms of NAFTA? Yes, the degree of benefit has obviously been a bit higher for Canada and Mexico, if you're going to look at it sort of saying it's not all on par, but that's mostly because America is the bigger world player. Ergo, the profit margin that it would receive, let's say on an annual basis, would not necessarily be as high as Canada, as Mexico, because the other two countries rely on it a little bit more strongly. And that's where Donald Trump's strategy has been in the first place. It's, yes, the America first mentality, but what he's trying to do is ensure that America has a more situated and a more set role at the table and that American interests, and that being things such as, say, the construction of American steel or just American jobs in general, are protected. If you look at it from in his shoes, it actually does make sense. Because why wouldn't you put your country's interests first? And why wouldn't you ensure that you have the best trade deal or the most effective trade deal in place so that your country and your countrymen, many of whom vote, will obviously be in a better position? I get that part of it. The problem really is, as I said before, is that the NAFTA itself is sort of moving away more and more as time goes along, especially during these talks from being a quote-unquote free trade agreement to what Terry Corcoran has sort of suggested, which is more about trade protection, mm-hmm. which is the exact opposite of what we're trying to do here.
1: Well, and and I haven't looked at his Twitter feed in the last few minutes, but you would have thought that Donald Trump would have championed the decision by the U.S. Commerce Department in siding with Boeing over Bombardier. Yep. Uh, some of the notes I was reading this morning was, reminded me that that was one of the first places he went uh, in his campaign was Boeing to yep. in Charleston, South Carolina to uh, champion jobs in the. US. So I, I would think this would be a real win for him and and certainly plays into his protectionist agenda and against that the global trade concept that you were describing.
2: Oh yes, I completely agree with you, Jane. Basically, Boeing is the U.S. example or equivalent of Bombardier in Canada. Boeing has obviously been a go-to thing for many U.S. governments in the past, especially when it comes to jets, because, again, it's American-made, it's American-manufactured, and obviously has some important status internationally. I get that part of it, and that's why Donald Trump would obviously champion an American company over Bombardier. But again... We shouldn't really be surprised that Canada has obviously backed Bombardier, not for necessarily the best reasons, but very similar reasons. I hate to say it, that Donald Trump is backed Boeing right. because Canadians want to ensure that their national interests and their national companies are protected. So even if you don't like that concept, and as a free market capitalist, I don't. If you sit back and sort of take yourself out of the equation, you can understand why a national leader, let's say Justin Trudeau in this case, would support Bombardier the same way that Donald Trump would support Boeing.
1: It is very interesting, and Justin Trudeau himself has threatened to cancel a $6.4 billion contract to buy 18 Boeing Super Hornet jets. Yep. Uh, so you're, it's absolutely, it's, a, it's a great comparison. It's very similar to what uh, Donald Trump is doing in this exact same scenario. Uh, let's get back to the phones. John in Toronto. Hi, you're on Fight Back. Hello. Hi, John. Go ahead.
3: Yes, I have a couple of questions. Uh, I was a worker back in the time when NAFTA came in, and as such, I was a real harmonized system man regarding tariffs and the good duties that's coming into Canada. One thing that sort of bothered me with all this new talk coming up is why doesn't Canada then bring to the forum water rights? Because within the next 25 to 50 years, the United States is going to be faced with nothing but drugs throughout the Midwest, and they have the right under NAFTA to ask us to revert our water down to them. Am I right, sir?
2: Yes, I mean, I think water rights are, I mean, water rights have been discussed. I think they were discussed in round two, if I'm not mistaken. But yes, I mean, water rights are obviously a very important issue. They've been discussed by past Canadian governments, both uh, federal, PC, and liberal, or even actually the federal Tories as well under Stephen Harper. And yes, I think it is actually an important issue. And again, unfortunately, it's part of the whole nationalist streak that we're facing here with NAFTA. This is something that for Canadian interests is obviously very important. I'm not denying that.
1: Let's go to Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. You're on Zoomer Radio. What's your question or comment?
2: Well, I just don't know how much free trade is really all a part of this. You know, I listen to the Canadian government and they they want climate change included. They want Mexican wages to be guaranteed to go up. They want gender equality. It just seems to be about virtue signaling. And then the, the dairy farmers, they want them totally protected. It's just, it doesn't, it's all virtue signaling to me. It's not free trade.
0: Okay. No, I agree. It, it
2: isn't free trade, and that's actually the big problem. That's the issue that we've had ever since. Look, I mean, Canada has directly said, Christia Freeland said, right up the top, with the 10 demands that Canada had, that she wanted to create a more progressive NAFTA. You mentioned one of them, which is gender rights. Indigenous rights have also come into play. Those two concepts are actually covered in many sections and subsections of NAFTA because everybody who is part of NAFTA would be included in some fashion. Why we necessarily have to highlight it the same way that the European Union, for example, has done in the past is beyond me. But with, in terms of free trade itself, that's a different issue and it's a much longer issue overall but the free the concept of free trade which is something that obviously appeals to me and a lot of other people including your last caller is unfortunately something that we really don't see with any free trade agreement because when governments come into play and rules and regulations come into play the concept of free trade as wonderful as it is never seems to play out properly in real world or in real life. And it changes. It becomes more of a, a managed trade component. And sadly, that's the way all trade organizations and all the way and that's the way all trade agreements tend to operate.
1: Michael, just to wrap up for us what has been accomplished for the renegotiation of NAFTA to date and what is left to discuss. And I, I, I understand that the answers to those are, are lengthy. <laughs>
2: They are lengthy. Uh, I guess I'll put it very bluntly. Um, there's still a lot to discuss because the U.S. list of, the, of demands in its 17-page document is over 100 in total. Can and the Mexico combined are about 13 or 14, give or take, which is not very much in the grand scheme of things. But there are a lot of things that the United States wants to talk about in terms of job creation, job protect, uh, protection, industry Trade agreements, uh, the dispute resolution mechanism, and other things that are of great importance to them. The bigger issue that we really have, and this is how, quite frankly, Jane, I don't know how things are going to be resolved, is that whether it's Secretary, U.S. Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross or U.S. President Donald Trump or whomever, they're all committed to ensure that every single demand that's in that 17 page document is met in some way, shape, or form trade agreements, much like politics in general, is a process of give and take. The U.S. is not going to get everything they want. Now, privately, I'm sure that they're willing to give up a few things here and there as long as other things are focused on and agree to. But, quite, but you know, to be re- in fairness, um, Justin Trudeau and the Mexican government both have to protect their nation 's own interests, and they can't necessarily give in to every demand that Donald Trump wants, even if some of the demands make sense to everybody who's actually listening to this program and that 's unfortunately the big issue that has to be resolved by the end of the year based on the timetable that they 've set and i don 't know exactly i 'm afraid I can 't really answer it properly how the United States or all those list of demands that the u s wants are going to be met and met properly and if that's the issue the next round of talks round four could be even more volatile than the first three have been because now the push is on as we enter the fall months and our last day of this indian summer comes (laughs) to an end we'll have to sort of see jane where it all goes and where it all ends up because right now nafta may be reborn as something new but god knows what it's going to look like in the end And for Canadian interests, I don't know how it's going to protect them necessarily. So we'll have to see what happens.
1: We'll leave the discussion there for the time being. Thank you, Michael.
2: My pleasure as always, Jane.
1: Political commentator and former advisor to former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, Michael Tobe.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.